This is With Intrepid Heart Sermons, sermons preached by Rev. Adam Moline at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find our website at goodshepherdlincoln.org, and the texts for our sermons each week follow the historic one-year lectionary. Let's listen in to today's sermon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. Dear Christians, too often in our world today, Scripture is torn apart verse by verse. And these verses are turned into little memes or used apart from their entire context or bantered about so often that no one thinks about the depth of what they really mean. The context adds depth. Taking one verse away from its context removes that depth. So that at times, some scripture verses become like the Platte River, a mile wide but only an inch deep, when instead it should be the other way around. That's what often happens with one of the verses of today's gospel lesson. John 3:16 For God so loved the world. So often we hear those words but pay no attention to the rest of the chapter that sets the stage for what those words mean. And if we do that, we miss a lot of what our Lord Jesus Christ wishes us to learn. If we take it out of its context, we lose beautiful comfort that our Lord taught. And so today, as we celebrate the Holy Trinity, we will focus on John chapter 3. We will focus on the entirety of our gospel lesson, building and building and building until finally we get to that second-to-last verse. Now, to set the stage with even more context, in the beginning of John's Gospel, we see much evangelism taking place. We've just had a Bible study on Sunday morning about that very topic. John the Baptist preaches, and the entire time, he points people to Jesus. Andrew, one of his followers, hears John's preaching and goes to see Jesus. Andrew then brings his brother and introduces him to Jesus, saying, we have found the Messiah. A little later, Philip is told by Christ, follow me. And as he follows him, what does he do? He sees his friend Nathanael and points him to Jesus, saying, We found the one that Moses was talking about. He brings him to Jesus. Over and over and over again, people come to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, they come to the faith. In our gospel lesson, then, after all of those events have taken place, we see another man come to Jesus. 
And we get details of the conversation that Jesus and this man had. The man is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And he is a ruler of the Jews. Being a Pharisee means that he is well-educated. He knows the Scriptures inside and out. Being a ruler of the Jews means that he is in an office of authority. In fact, we get the impression later on in John's Gospel that Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin. He comes at night, hiding his interaction with Christ, but he still comes with genuine wonder and questioning about who Jesus is. After all, Christ had just overturned all the money-changing tables in the temple. He had just turned water into wine. And Nicodemus is amazed at these signs and wants to learn what they mean. These signs have pointed him to Jesus. Just like Andrew had Peter, just like Philip had Nathaniel. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Nicodemus begins the conversation. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. These words indicate that Nicodemus believes Jesus is at the least a divine teacher and that he's open to the idea that Jesus is more than that, that Jesus is the Messiah. It is a who-are-you type question. And so Jesus reveals who he is in his answer in the big-picture sort of way. I'm going to summarize Christ's answer. Who am I? If you see God's kingdom, then you will know who I am. And if you want to see God's kingdom, you must be born from above. Jesus says, I'm the center of God's kingdom, and to be born above, you would see that. But how does this happen? How is one born from above? Jesus answers that question as well. By water and by the Spirit. Water and Spirit. Where do those go together? Jesus is saying that by baptism into his name, one can understand who Christ is. One enters God's kingdom. It is by baptism that this takes place. It is by baptism that sinners understand who Jesus is. After all, Jesus says, the flesh gives birth to flesh, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives birth to Spirit. 
Your natural birth produces only flesh, but not faith. A baby is born in the flesh, but apart from faith is spiritually dead. To be made spiritually alive, one must be spiritually born. And that takes place by water and by the Spirit. A birth that comes from above, from God, from His working, from His mercy. That's the way Jesus describes it. Baptism makes you spiritually alive. It brings you into God's kingdom. Then, and only then, through the waters of baptism, will they be Christian and thus see God's kingdom and understand who Christ is. In the early church, these words, born from water and the Spirit, these words were the most important words of John chapter 3. All the way back at the time of Justin Martyr, who was born in the year 100, these words were the central part of this chapter, pointing people to baptism, water and spirit. The church fathers had no question in their mind about this. Water and spirit are sacramental baptism. That's what the church has always taught. That's been the center of our faith. It brings people to Jesus. But Nicodemus doesn't yet understand this. How can it be? Nicodemus thinks the same way that we do. How can water do such great things? How can a person be born a second time from above? How does applying a few splashes of water to someone's head, bring a soul to life in God's eyes. It doesn't make sense. It seems silly and trite. It's beyond our human comprehension. There's no way to trust the science on the waters of holy baptism. When you look at the water, it's just water. How can this have such cosmic implications when it doesn't look like anything at all? Christ is teaching us that you cannot see the process of regeneration and renewal in baptism. But that doesn't mean God isn't working it. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It does happen in a secret and invisible way. 
But since we cannot see what God is doing in the waters of holy baptism, so often we doubt it. We forget about it. We ignore it. We devalue it. When the pastor starts talking about baptism again, we roll our eyes and begin to doze off or scroll through on our phone. When we try to understand baptism, we rationalize it into our own understanding. Maybe people aren't really spiritually dead. Maybe things aren't as dire as the pastor keeps saying. Maybe baptism is our work, an outward sign of an inward faith. Maybe it's just a symbol. It looks like the person is coming up out of the water, just like God says they'll come up out of the grave. It's a visual for something beyond our comprehension. Maybe it's just outdated mumbo-jumbo from people of old who weren't as smart and educated and rational as we are. Maybe Baptism is just a giant nothing burger, and it makes no difference at all. <clears throat> and often that's how we live, as if we have not been baptized, as if God has not acted in our life through water and the Word. We cling to our sins and carry them around as if God had not washed them away from us as far as the east is from the west. We let them keep us awake at night. We let them haunt our dreams. We live as if we haven't been baptized, falling into sin again and again not seeking to rise above it in faith in Christ, not living that daily repentance and confession that we might hear God's holy absolution. You are baptized. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness. We live as if baptism means nothing, as if it isn't important at all. Repent of this, dear Christian, for baptism is the center of what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus in our text. He's teaching him that it is not just plain water, that it is a life-giving flood poured out by God. He's teaching that it is the portal by which Christians enter the faith, being marked in the name of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
being claimed as God's own possession. This baptism, which God gives through the hands and the voice of your pastor, brings faith to life. It's not just plain water. It's the Word of God, the Holy Spirit at work in that water that does these great things. It's God at work that allows us to be Christian and thereby to enter God's kingdom and thereby to see Jesus clearly, unclouded, perfectly, and holy. Jesus knows that it doesn't always make sense to our limited human minds. He tells Nicodemus that in our gospel lesson. He's speaking about his own authority by saying, We speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen. In other words, Jesus says, I know I'm telling you the truth because it's something I've seen with my own eyes. How can Jesus see what baptism does? Because he's not only human flesh. He's also God. God and man, united in one Christ as we just confessed. And as God and man, Jesus sees all aspects of holy baptism even those parts that are hidden from our eyes. In terms of his human nature, he sees water poured on someone in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And from God's perspective, he sees the birth of faith, the creation of a Christian. He sees both sides of what's happening. He sees the truth. He is God and man, united. And he says, no one has ascended into heaven except for me, the one who came down from heaven. He's seen it. He can testify. He can tell the truth. And here, in case we're confused, he points to another example of an event that has both a human view and a divine view. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. All who looked to the serpent lived, even if they had the poison of serpents flowing through their blood. Though they were bitten by poisonous snakes, They would live by looking to the bronze serpent. And so too, you, who have been baptized in water and the Spirit, made alive in baptismal waters, you look to Jesus. And though you have the poison of sin coursing through your veins, By looking to Christ, high and lifted up, dying for the sins of the world, you live. 
To our human eyes, it looks like death, but in God's eyes, it means life. To our human eyes, it looks like suffering and pain, blood and gore. But in God's eyes, it means the forgiveness of sins, peace, and life forever. We look to Christ, Christ crucified, to take away the sins of the world. And in so doing, we see the promise of eternal life forgiveness of sins, and mercy. Why would God do this? Why would God kill His Son to forgive our sins? Why would God wash away our sins in the waters of baptism? Why would God act in this fashion It's here that St. John comes in and summarizes all that Jesus taught Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, But he sent him in order that the world might be saved through him. God sends Jesus for you to die for your sins on the cross, to wash you in the waters of holy baptism so that you might be born into eternal life. God sends Jesus, even here and now, though we cannot see it with our human eyes, to be present among us in the preaching of his holy word, to speak the forgiveness of sins through the lips of a sinful pastor. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God sends Jesus to feed you, to feed your faith, In his body and blood, God sends Jesus out of his love for you. And though you do not see him with your eyes, he is here. He brings his mercy and his forgiveness to you. That is our Christian faith. That is what we learn from John chapter 3. That is what makes us a citizen of God's kingdom so that we might see Jesus and thus receive life and life to the full. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. That concludes today's sermon from Pastor Adam Moline. For more information about the Lutheran faith, check out our church website, goodshepherdlincoln.org. 
The title of this podcast, With Intrepid Heart, comes from the conclusion to the Book of Concord, where it is written, This is our faith, doctrine, and confession, in which we also are willing, by God's grace, to appear with intrepid hearts before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of it. God's blessings on your day.